Welcome to the Men of Iron Podcast, equipping men for growth in your faith, family, friends, fitness, and finances. Check out menofiron.org to learn more about how you can get involved in or support the vision of changing a culture one man at a time. Thanks for listening. Here's your host, Chad Zook. Welcome to the Men of Iron Podcast. My name is Chad Zook, and this is episode 75. We're talking about five ways to fight discouragement and confusion in this series. This is part five of a series. We'll finish it up next week. But this week, we're talking about enjoying your crew. In other words, we're talking about the type of men that you need to have in your circle, people you need to have in your corner, people you need to have rooting for you, and who you need to be rooting for. For so that you can fight discouragement and confusion. All of us have struggles and all of us have triggers that can lead us into discouragement and confusion. So who we surround ourselves with can help us stay out of the ditches that are discouragement and confusion. I'm so glad that you are tuning in today into this podcast. If you find this podcast helpful, please give us a rating and review on iTunes so this message can get out to the rest of the men. Need a personal financial coach? Doug Kaufman can help with that. Whether it's a business or personal finance, Kaufman's have trained CPAs ready to help you. They're ready to help you to have financial clarity and peace of mind. They develop for you a step-by-step plan to make your financial goals a reality. And they don't just create the plan and then leave you hanging. Instead, what they do is they continue with you to track progress and to celebrate wins. And a win is determined by you, so you can have financial clarity and peace of mind. They work really hard at helping people to understand where their money's going and also for them to help uh, to have the finances to reach the goals that they want. So Doug Kaufman and his team can be found at KaufmanCPA.com, K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N-C-P-A.com. Doug and his team have been doing virtual coaching and doing virtual CPA work for quite a long time, since before COVID. This was actually part of their business strategy. They know how to do it. They know how to connect with you. I talked to Doug a couple weeks back, and man, he knows his stuff. We shaped up a great conversation, and I was really inspired and challenged by what he said, and I believe that Doug and his team are going to be able to help you to go to the next level so you can have clarity, financially speaking, and you can have peace of mind. If that's something that you need, go see Doug at KaufmanCPA.com. All right, guys, so let's get into it today. We'll talk about enjoying your crew. As some of you, maybe if you've been listening along the podcast, you know that I served in the Navy. I served in the Navy actually for four years. I worked on F-18s. I was based out of Jacksonville, Florida, actually Orange Park, Florida, but it's a suburb of Jacksonville. And I was also on two different deployments, one on the USS Roosevelt and the other one, the USS Eisenhower. Both of those deployments were very similar, and we traveled the world. Uh, honestly, got to go to a bunch of different countries and see a bunch of different things. And there were some things that I expected, some things that I didn't expect. The deployments were, each of them was six months long. So imagine, if you will, you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean, and you've got 5,000 people around you, but really your inner circle, I had a work center, I just had just a few people actually I worked with 
on a daily basis, and it was like the best of times, it was the worst of times. Uh, I, I received some, some advice when I first got onto the crew, onto, the, onto my first cruise, and somebody told me, they said, your best friend getting on the boat will become your greatest enemy during the cruise, and then you will be great friends after the cruise. And I thought, yeah, that's a bunch of crap. That's not true. Man, that was absolutely true. I literally got into, I nearly got into fistfights with both guys who I, who they were kind of my best friends going into those deployments, literally in the hangar, in the hangar bay, Russ was the name of one guy. I mean, I really wanted to, to just deck him, but then honestly, I thought about my wife and I thought, man, if I go to, to the brig, which is kind of like jail, it's going to be bad for me. It's going to be bad for her. So I didn't. And there was another guy who I really respected, but we just totally disagreed. We've been out for months. We're exhausted, working 12 on, 12 off, seven days a week. And his name was Brett. And, and I almost just decked Brett too, but I did not. So, and he didn't deck me. So we kind of yelled and went back and forth, got in each other's faces and it was resolved. But that advice they told me was true. Some other things that were true about that. While it was great that I was able to travel the world with these guys, and we would go into port calls, and we got to see Rome and Jerusalem and Cartagena, Spain, different places in France and Turkey and the Caribbean and different places in the United States, it was amazing being able to travel with these guys, and it was so much fun. But once we spent so much time together, things kind of got monotonous. So we had to do things like... When we would go into Port of Call, it would kind of be like a breath of fresh air. We'd go out and we'd kind of like experience the friendship and the bond in a different way. Another thing that would happen is this. If we were just at sea, it just became really monotonous if we were just going through flight ops upon flight ops upon flight ops. However, there were moments when when we knew that we were in in real what could be battle zones that we knew that we were when we were in the Persian Gulf we knew that this was a dangerous place and everybody in those moments everybody grew together everybody was reminded that we're doing important work and we grew stronger together and we became literally just a great unit as we were then loading live bombs onto these planes and let me tell you when you do that knowing that they could be released in you know, in hostile territory, that will sober you up. That really will. And it will remind you of what's important. You see, what would happen is when we would go out and we would have these adventures or we would work hard and we would just kind of get, we'd lose sight of what we were doing. When we would go into port of call, we'd be reminded and just be able to just connect as guys and have, just have fun as friends. And yet when, then when things got serious, when we were in war zones or the work just got serious or we had, where we lost some, uh, lost a crew member, things got serious. And in those moments, they were so sobering and they brought us back together again. I think that's such a great picture for us because for us to enjoy our crew, we, we have to understand that our crew should be like-minded, looking at the same things as we are, trying to pursue the same things as we are. If we're going to fight discouragement and confusion and to enjoy our crew, we have to have like-mindedness and purpose. And also, we have to be able to go out and just have some fun with, with guys who are in our crew. You see, this is such a, an important thing for us to remember because... We're all in war zones. We are. Our war zones are different, though. They're not ships in the middle of the Persian Gulf. Um, as we're you know, launching planes with live ordnance that could be dropped at any time, instead, our war zones are our kitchens, our boardrooms, uh, our prayer rooms, our bedrooms, uh, just office spaces. And in these spaces, we can be lulled into complacency and carelessness and lose sight of our purpose. 
We need other men in those spaces, and we need other men advocating for us to keep us uh, engaged in the battles that matter. And those battles are in the kitchen, boardroom, prayer room, bedroom, in the office spaces. And maybe for you, it's just pushing a toolbox around a, a garage or a hangar. I'm not really sure what it is that you do, but I know that we can be just lulled into carelessness and complacency, and we need input of other men to help us along. You know, here at Men of Iron, we actually have a, a mentoring curriculum that is set up for you to sit down with with a mentor, or if you're, or sit down with a mentee, depends on which side of the table you're on, and it's called Strong 27. It's a mentoring guide. It's broken down into the five Fs: faith, family, finances, fitness, and family. So, if you were to to go in and and you were to commit to maybe looking online at mentoriron.org, go to that mentoring guide, or you know. Just make a phone call and just ask and say, hey, is this the best thing for me? That'd be a great thing for you to do following up from this podcast as I talk about and really get into the granular level about how to enjoy your crew. But one of the ways that you can do this is by having somebody in a mentoring relationship with you. And we at Men of Iron believe so strongly into this that we develop Strong 27. It is a way for guys to engage. It's really low level, but it's hard hitting. So it, it's easy to understand, but hard hitting. It'd be great for you maybe as a follow-up to this podcast. You see, here's the thing. Henry David Thoreau is is so right. This quote is, is often used. It was written in the mid-1800s. It's still relevant today. Many men live lives of quiet desperation. The male suicide rate is three times higher for men than women. That's in North America. The suicide epidemic of our servicemen is about 20 a day right now, coming from a bunch of different things, a lack of purpose, camaraderie, or connection. And all of these things are killing off our veterans at staggering rates. If I just want to just pause right now. This isn't just taking our, our veterans and taking our, our, our active duty military. It's just taking men. The suicide rate for men is three times higher for men than women. That's what I just said. So this is something that, that men struggle with. So if you're in deep depression, if you're thinking about, dreaming about, or even considering suicide, call the suicide hotline today. They're available 24 hours a day. They're non-judgmental uh, conversation. It's 1-800-273-8255. I'll say it again, 1-800-273-8255. If you are struggling with this right now, this podcast is not what you need. You need to talk to somebody who's trained to help you in this situation. But for everybody else, I want you to, to just know that, that we're on your side. And many of us, we may not say, hey, I'm living in quiet desperation, but maybe we know a guy that is. You see, I think that we're all desperate for meaning and we're all desperate for a life uh, that is, is worthy of sacrifice. I think that we're desperate for a life of, that we would sacrifice for our wife. We're desperate for adventure. We're desperate for friendships. I think we're just all desperate. Ultimately, we're desperate for a connection with God. That's really what it is. We're desperate for a connection with God. At the fall, Adam and Eve both craved autonomy. And autonomy is a desire for self-government. It's, this, it's just this, this message of just don't tell me what to do. And it was true in the garden. It's true of us today. We crave autonomy. If you're an American, this is just part of the American dream. This is just part of the American story, this you know, I can just pull myself up from my bootstraps and I can just make things happen. I don't need anyone, you know, and, and all of that is, it, while it, it could be very virtuous, uh, you know, as, as far as 
within the nation, and I'm all about patriotism and all, all about American freedoms. I fought for this country. I served this country. Uh, I think it's an honor to do so. But I know that, that autonomy has limits. You see, the first symptom of sin is separation. And that's what autonomy is. The first symptom of sin is separation. Autonomy is taken too far. Autonomy is it's separation, saying, I don't need anyone and I don't need anything. I can do this all by myself. That's, I think, a pathway into this quiet desperation that Thoreau is talking about. Also, I want you to know this. The first symptom of salvation is reconciliation. Reconciliation to God, reconciliation to your true self, and reconciliation to other people. So for us, autonomy, while it, it seems virtuous at times, it, it can either be good or bad. It can be used for great things. Uh, maybe if somebody's in an abusive situation or a manipulative situation and just say, you know what, I'm worthy of more, we can kind of step out of that. We can kind of step out and say, no, I want to be my own person, but yet you can also be your own person and operate under the sovereignty of God. This is the key. Being autonomous is saying, yeah, I can be my own person, but yet I think the best virtue and value is to say, yes, but I live under the sovereign input and control and lordship of Jesus. You see, autonomy itself, it leads you to a lot of dangerous mindsets of quiet desperation. Some of them are are these, to just to be your own boss. It's just this mindset, things that, that we tend to say or hear people say. I just want to be my own boss. Or other people, another way of saying it is, I just don't need anyone else to take care of me. I just don't need anyone else to take care of me. Or perhaps it's this, I'm my own authority. Or just boldly saying, no one will tell me what to do. You see, this is the lure of worldly, ungodly thinking and living, is this, this heartbeat of resistance to God that says, no one is going to tell me what to do. Autonomy, gentlemen, when taken too far, it never leads to abundant life. Autonomy, it leads to character decay and relational baggage. When we sacrifice friendships, our character suffers, and we choose a path of destruction. I'll say it again. When we sacrifice friendships, and we say, I don't need other people in my life. I don't need somebody else speaking into my life. I don't need a mentor. I don't need a band of brothers. I don't need brotherhood. What's happening is you're saying, oh, okay, I'm opting to have my character to suffer, and I'm choosing a path of destruction. This is what it says in Proverbs 13.20. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Walk with the wise and become wise. It's a pretty straightforward verse. For a companion of fools suffers harm. You know what a companion of fools does? Is somebody who says, I don't need anyone else. And everybody just being a part of a bunch of people who just live as if they don't need anybody else because they have it all figured out. I'm not judging you. I've lived years of my life with this, this message just just ruminating in my mind. I grew up with this message that I don't need anyone. I grew up in a, in a lower middle class home, um, just working class of just this, this message and narrative that I tended to believe that was, I don't need anyone. Nobody's coming for me. It's up to you. All you need is you. You can control your own life. I mean, I, if there was a, a king of autonomy, I think I would have been the king. And yet the word of God is true. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. So what does that mean? That means I need to surround myself with people who are wise so I can become wise. And when I become wise, I don't do stupid things. 
You see, whenever I've walked with stupid people, I've done stupid things. When I've had a companion of fools, I've suffered harm. It's true of my story. Perhaps it's true of yours. So I just want to summarize what I've said so far in saying this. Enjoy the people around you after choosing them wisely. Enjoy the people around you after choosing them wisely. I had a a long-term friendship. It was a childhood friendship through teen years. Uh, into adulthood, long-term friendship. And, you know, I I ignored the warning signs of other people. Other people said, hey, he's bad news. Other people said, hey, look out for him. I don't trust him. I gave him the the benefit of the doubt, and it it crippled me for a long time. It crippled my marriage for a long time. It put a, a real strain on any other friendships I had outside of that one because of the controlling nature of it, and I was blind to it. And I did not even see what it was that every, everybody else saw, sadly. And it was long-term, and I want you to know, he eventually burned me. He burned me hard time, just, just big time he burned me. And, and I suffered. I suffered because of it. I suffered because of the person that I had been around. And what hurt the most was it hurt my wife because I started to believe him instead of what she was saying to me. And what she was saying to me, knowing that she's in my corner, knowing that she's always rooting for me, and I'm always rooting for her, just as I think every husband and wife should, you know, it was, it was a really difficult time for me, and I have to own my failure. I didn't listen to the warning signs, and I surrounded myself with a jerk. I, re- I surrounded myself with a fool, and I became a fool. I've made, I've made some strides since then. I've decided I want to surround myself with wise people so that I can become wise like them. And hopefully, that as I'm becoming wise, other people actually have sought me out for wisdom as well. Maybe your your story's like mine, and you maybe you had just this severing of a friendship years ago, and you feel stunned. You're like, and you would just maybe just answer just very clearly and, and honestly and say, I don't really have good friends. And maybe the reason why you don't have good friends is because somebody burns you, and what you're tempted to do is you're tempted to project that past pain onto a, a future or present dude who's around you who could be a friend who could help you who could be in your corner billy corgan of smashing pumpkins one of my favorite bands to listen to at the gym by the way he said this compliments and criticism are ultimately based on some form of projection i don't know if that's true or not i'm still still thinking about that but i am thinking about you know that that when we put ourselves around critical people Oftentimes, what, the, what those critical people are doing, they're projecting something on to us. And I think that's really what he was doing. I think he, he had some unresolved issues in his, in his background, and now he brought all those things on to me. He wasn't, he wasn't open to what God had for him, and I suffered, and he suffered. So, so maybe that's part of your story, where you've kind of walked that line, and you've had people projecting on you, or you projected on other people. I want to give you some freedom, men, to say this. I want you to give, just give you some freedom to say, that sucked. That really sucked. I really wish that wouldn't have happened. And to say, that hurt. Or to say, you know what? Part of that was their fault. And also, some of that was my fault. It's okay to declare this. I am better than what they gave me. I'm better than that. Not in a prideful sense, but just in a, in a, a self-satisfying knowing that just having self-worth based in who God says you are and your gospel identity. Just to say that I'm worth better than that. 
It's okay to say this. My next friendship will be better because of what happened. And even it's taken it a step further to say not everyone is like that. So I'm not going to transfer that pain to somebody else. I will not project anymore. Or to say, I can't let his arrogance and pride become the reason why I don't find other people to enjoy my life with. Bob Marley said this. He said, truth is, everybody's going to hurt you. You just got to find the ones worth suffering for. You see, when we're around people who are, are willing to say hard things to us, there's going to be an element of, of hurt. Uh, there's going to be a tendency sometimes because of that autonomous nature and the sin nature within us to, to kind of push back and say, no, that's not my story. Mind your own business. But yet, I think that Bob Marley is right on that. The truth is, everybody's going to hurt you. We just have to find the ones worth suffering for. We have to also choose those who we know who have our best interest and then go after those people and give them uh, just a part of us to connect with us relationally. So I, I want to finish up the podcast, uh, and hopefully this has been helpful so far, as I've shared just a little bit of my story. Um, I'm going to give you three big takeaways, and I'm going to spend more time on one of them. So the, the three big takeaways are this. You need men that you can, you can play and pray. I know it sounds a little cheesy. They're all kind of like this, but that's just the way they came out, to play and pray. We need the type of guy who, who we can just go hang out with, whether it's a campfire or a, a hunting lodge or just fishing on the lake or just a trail or working out or hobbies or, or just you know a guy just to have fun with. Like You need to be able to have uh, these type of guys where you can play and pray together. But you also need to have these type of people who, who, who are understanding that, that they are God-given gifts to you for pleasure and purpose pleasure for you to have fun, but also purpose to help you to be a better man. So we need men that we can play and pray together with. These may be guys in your faith community. I would say first, look for guys around you. Don't look for guys out on Instagram first. Don't look at on some community on Facebook or somewhere else. Don't go there first. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those. I'm connected to some of those groups, but you have to start around you because these people are the ones you're going to be able to sit down and, and actually talk with face-to-face who will basically call you on things that are going wrong in your life because we can fake anything online. So we need people that we can play and pray together with, have some fun together. Nobody wants to be around someone who is shut off from fun and who is boring. So no one likes that guy. No one wants to be around that guy. So don't be that guy. Instead, surround yourself with people who are fun and draw out the best thing in you. Play and pray together. Another one is this. They need space and grace. You've heard me say this. You're going to hear me say it more. Men need space and grace to process pain. I want to give you this example from Job's second testing. His wife had said to him this. This is an exact reading of the scripture. Are you holding out? Uh, are you holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. This is what she has to say. She's really rooting for him, right? She's like, curse God and die. He replies, you were talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Question mark. In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. That was Job 2.10. When Job's three friends heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. Again, men need space and grace to process pain. Verse 12 says this, 
When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore the robes, and they sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. That's powerful. Notice what Job's friends did. They didn't go to him and be like, Hey, yeah, your, your wife's crazy. You're in a bad situation. Just reject God and die. You just need to, you need to go just bury, you need to go bury the situation in a six pack. You need, need to go get some beer. You need to go to a hobby. You need to go get high. You need to go run away. You need, to, you need a vacation. That's what you need, Job. They didn't do any of that. They didn't give any advice. What they did was they gave him space and grace. They sat with him for seven days and seven nights. And I realize how unrealistic that even may seem in our culture, being so busy and all. But just maybe don't get lost in the seven days and seven nights, but do hang on to this. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. You see, they were there. And they didn't feel the need to say anything because just being there was enough. Men need space and grace to process pain. Men who don't have all the answers, but who are willing to sit down with you as you process pain, as you process grief, as you process hardship, as you process marriage, as you process loss, as you process kids, as you process empty nesting, as you process all of the other hardships of life. Men need space and grace to help you process pain. We need one another. First, to play and pray. Second, they need space and grace. The last one is they need time and truth. You are your brother's keeper. I'm reminded of a story I read of Stu Weber, great author, actually, we'll put in the show notes uh, just a link to all of his books. Uh, Tender Warrior was really the best book that I think he's written. Fantastic book. Here's a little bit of Stu's story. He was the captain of his college football team. He was also an Airborne Ranger. He was a Green Beret officer, and he was a pastor. And all uh, and the time that he served in the military was during Vietnam. And this is a little bit of, of just, a, just a cut, a sliver of Stu's story. He, like, like most men, he struggled with anger. And in a Christianity Today article, he talks about how his friends, his accountability partners, as he called it, that may have saved his life and his ministry. In this group, uh, Stu, he, he holds no special privileges. Just because he's the pastor, he doesn't go into it with, with a, a sort of you know, uh, you know, standoffish thing with his accountability partners. He, it's a no-holds-barred, um, you know, free-fire zone is what Stephen Mansfield calls it. But he can just allow these guys just to say whatever needs to be said to him with no special privileges. Growing up, Stu developed a temper, which had blossomed in high school and college, and, and he'd, he really uh, had it just turn into a tire fire when he was in the military, is what he said in this article. And so in it, he needed to be able to curb his temper and develop some relational skills. Well, early in his ministry, he stopped playing church league basketball altogether because his temper kept flaring, and he was embarrassing himself in the church. A decade passed— And this is what he says, I hadn't had a flash of temper for years. I thought, the Lord has been good. I'm actually growing. Then his oldest son made a high school varsity basketball squad. This is what he said. I began began living my life again through my son. 
Stu was, he started terrorizing the referees. On one occasion, when he was seated in the second row, Stu wound up on the floor level and he could not remember how he got there. He received nasty letters from church members who, who says that he was absolutely out of control. And then he agreed and he says, you're absolutely right on. But then he got another note. And the note said this, Stu, I know your heart. I know that's not you. I know that you want to live for Christ and his reputation. And I know what's ha- I know that that that's not happened at these ball games. If it would be helpful to you, I'll come to the games with you and sit beside you. This was one of his accountability partners. Stu said this, Steve saved my life. That's this gentleman. It was an invitation a gracious extension of truth. He assumed the best and he believed in me. This is such a great example of time and truth. He was willing to step in. Steve was willing to step in as his accountability partner says, I will come to the game and I'll spend time with you. But he also gave them the truth of the situation. And he says, I know your heart. I know that's not you. And I know that what you want to live for is for Christ and his reputation. And I know that you've blown it at these ball games. And he was offering Stu help without judgment. An unknown author said this, Hurt me with the truth, but never com- comfort me with a lie. Hurt me with the truth, but never comfort me with a lie. This has been one of the mantras that I, I've lived with and just as I surround people or surround myself with, with other like-minded men, it's this, Hurt me with the truth, but never comfort me with a lie. Rome wasn't built in a day, and character is not built in a day either. The great challenge we face is this. Though character is not built in a day, your reputation can be destroyed in a day. Enjoy your crew. Choose your friends wisely. You need time and truth with them. You need space and grace, and you need to play and pray. Until next week, gentlemen, hopefully this has been helpful to you as it has been for me. Gentlemen, I'll end with this. Become a mentor. Find a mentor. Be a better man. This Men of Iron podcast is brought to you by Men of Iron. If you're interested in getting involved in or supporting the vision of changing a culture one man at a time, or you simply want to know more about our Strong 27 mentorship experience, equilibrium retreats, Anchored Man video series or Men of Iron Plus, go to menofiron.org.